Southerners have long created the storylines that shape the nation, and in some ways the world. We have planted the seeds that spark global movements. As goes the South, so goes the nation. Never in our lifetime has that been more true. Whether it's fighting for racial justice, ending health disparities, fighting for voting rights by organizing people around common goals, these issues, and the Southerners leading the charge over them, are going to set the tempo for the 2020 elections. This season of The Reckon Interview, we're digging into the stories and people beyond the polls and partisanship. We're speaking with the community leaders and fresh young voices doing the work of building the future South, on the ground and out of the spotlight. If you're looking for another political podcast to handicap the horse race, there are plenty of them out there. But we want you to join us as we explore the Southern issues, trends, and movements that matter most. And hopefully learn how to plant our own seeds of change. So subscribe to The Reckon Interview wherever you get your podcasts. For AL.com, I'm Ben Flanagan. This is Outbreak Alabama, stories from a pandemic. One thing that we keep saying is without your help, we're history. We need the people who love them to give to them in whatever way they can. With no shows to pay rent, to buy tickets, to buy concessions, that has wiped out our income completely. And at this time, we are totally dependent on donations, which has been a major shift in just the way that we operate in general. Today, we hear from Glennie Brock and Cindy Mullins, both of whom work for Birmingham Landmarks Incorporated a nonprofit that owns and operates the Alabama Theater and Lyric Theater in downtown Birmingham. The Lyric was built in 1914 for the vaudeville circuit. Stars like the Marx Brothers, Mae West, and Milton Berle performed there. Birmingham Landmarks acquired the Lyric in 1993, spending more than 20 years figuring out how to revive the theater until it underwent an $11.8 million restoration and reopened in 2016. More than 150,000 people visit the Alabama Theater each year for concerts, movies, dance recitals, theater performances, and other events, remaining a beacon for Southeastern culture and a regular stop for major artists on tour, and the annual home for events like the Sidewalk Film Festival. The Alabama unveiled a refurbished sign about a year ago, which was part of a long-term plan to restore the exterior of the theater, built in 1927. They also replaced the marquee to improve on the original with use of LED bulbs and other 21st century technology. The theater even won a $120,000 preservation grant in an online contest sponsored by American Express and the National Trust for Historic Preservation. So for a theater built in the 1920s, the future was bright. Until the pandemic hit, throwing a wrench into their ambitious plans and shrouding the futures of each venue in doubt. Now with so many restrictions on how entertainment venues can operate, the Alabama and Lyric can barely generate any revenue at all, and are depending on donations to stay afloat. I spoke to weddings and outreach coordinator Glennie Brock and venue manager Cindy Mullins about how the Alabama and Lyric theaters have been most impacted during the pandemic, why they need donations more than ever right now, why the theaters remain so vital to the city, and what the future holds for the venues. My name is Glennie Brock. I live in Birmingham, Alabama. I work at Birmingham Landmarks Incorporated, which is the nonprofit that owns and operates 
the Alabama Theater and the Lyric Theater. I have worked full-time for the theater since 2012. If you visit the Alabama Theater website right now, the homepage says, quote, The Alabama and Lyric Theaters depend on events for income, but the COVID-19 pandemic has jeopardized the future of our historic venues. We need donations more than ever to make sure these Birmingham landmarks survive this crisis. So we all know the pandemic has had, in some ways, a catastrophic economic impact for so many people and businesses. But why do these theaters need donations more than ever right now? We rely on events for revenue. Since March 17th, we have canceled more than 90 events at the Lyric and the Alabama. That's concerts, dance recitals, movie screenings, graduations, weddings, every kind of event you can imagine. You know, one of the things that's really special about both of those theaters is that they are places that really take all comers. One of the things that our executive director, Brant Bean, loves to say is that the Alabama is a place that can have and has had both the Dalai Lama and Dolly Parton. You know, it is a it is a remarkable place. Both of them are remarkable places that have these long legacies, like these long civic memories for people. And something that we have been saying quite a lot right now is without your help we're history part of what we are facing is two beautiful hundred year old buildings you know the the alabama is actually 93 the lyric is 106 years old and we have operated in the black we have been profitable for a long time but Now, we are really facing a grave situation because we're just not sure when we can safely have audiences again. One, have y'all been receiving donations during the pandemic? We have been very glad and very grateful when the public that loves us remembers us. So we we have received donations and, you know, we have had a few live stream events from both theaters, like some of which are really unique and really special. In addition to a few live concerts, we have um, screened a few silent movies and had accompaniment from the Mighty Wurlitzer, which has been, you know, totally unique and really special for us. And we're very aware of the fact that while there's a public health crisis happening, not just in this country, but worldwide, a lot of the, you know, the sort of organizations that first are receiving attention are oriented toward food security, health care, this sort of thing. So in some way, you know, the theaters have not not been top of mind. But now as we are all sort of settling into this new reality, like we we know already that our audiences are really missing us. And, uh, you know, it feels it feels lonely for those theaters to be dark. It's interesting for the people that work there. You know, we are all accustomed to to being in the theaters alone, right? You know, just a few of us there. But it's always like sort of there's a sense of excitement and happiness because we always know that soon, we're just getting ready for the next show most of the time. 
and uh now it has a it has a very so it's just a very melancholy feeling for the theaters to be dark and silent and we don't know when they will be resounding again hey my name is cindy mullins i live in homewood alabama and I'm the venue manager at the Alabama Theater and Lyric Theater in downtown Birmingham. I don't know if it was you or someone else who said that any attempt to reopen with social distancing would be very difficult for the theaters because they don't have wide open spaces. And I just wonder, would that mean the theaters will remain closed until they can return to business as usual? Business as usual is going to be a relative term for a while. And also our theaters host all different kinds of events. There are some events that we might be able to get started on earlier, like maybe some community events that aren't expecting to sell out the whole building. Um, You know, we've had graduations, dance recitals, things like that, that don't necessarily use our full building capacity. But as far as concerts and nationwide touring events like that. I think it's going to be quite a while just because those events really rely on using our full capacity, you know, in order to make their show profitable so that they can, you know, justify coming to see us. Our buildings, like you said, have some confined spaces in them, and that's just part of them being, you know, historic venues. They weren't really designed for social distancing, obviously, but they also weren't designed with some of the modern conveniences in mind. You know, they didn't originally have concession stands. They didn't originally have lots of bathrooms. We've had to add those things in to make them, you know, good working spaces for what we need them for now. Um, And that kind of thing is really causing us some challenges trying to figure out how we can distance our guests when they are able to come back. The Alabama unveiled a refurbished sign about a year ago, which was part of a long-term plan to restore the exterior of the theater. And there's obviously a new marquee, too, as part of that. For a theater built in the 1920s, it seemed like the future was very bright for the venue. And I'm sure there was a lot of optimism among the staff. And suddenly, the pandemic has changed everything globally. And like many others, the Alabama's future plans are obviously now uncertain. So... What are the biggest ways the theater has been impacted so far? Cindy Mullins. Well, we are a nonprofit and we don't receive regular funding from the city or state. So we typically fund our operations by having events. We don't do a lot of fundraisers like some other nonprofits would do. We just host events, have people inside, and they buy tickets and they buy concessions. But we do also regularly accept donations. With no shows to pay rent, to buy tickets, to buy concessions, that has wiped out our income completely. And at this time, we are totally dependent on donations, which has been a major shift in just the way that we operate in general. We have been working on an endowment campaign, and that was what the majority of our fundraising was focused on, was funding an endowment that could 
help us pay for maintenance basically forever. But right now we've had to shift our focus to just funding existence, funding survival. And the past few years have really been the busiest that we've ever seen. Um, We've had more shows each year than the year before. And we had really been seeing a, a season of plenty. And I think most of the venues around Birmingham would probably say the same thing that up until the pandemic hit, we were looking at our busiest year probably ever. And so with all of that in mind, that's what led us to spend some money last year on some much needed and, you know, past due, you know, renovations and refurbishments. So we we refurbished our third Avenue Alabama sign we decided to get a new marquee, which if you had seen the one we had before, although it held a special place in most of our hearts, you would probably agree that it it needed some updating. Um, We updated our backstage areas to make them more comfortable for artists and easier for us to clean and maintain. We replaced carpet that was old and starting to tear. We um, built a whole new bathroom area in the main ladies' bathroom that made it to where our guests could get in and out of the restroom during intermission of a concert, whereas before that was a definite problem that we had. So we spent a lot of money making our theater more comfortable for our guests so that they would want to keep coming back and seeing us. And unfortunately, we really haven't gotten much use out of those refurbishments yet. Um, we we finished them, most of them, about a year ago, and so we got through our fall and our Christmas season, but our spring was cut short, and unfortunately, we just haven't had a summer season at all this year, and um, we are hopeful that we'll be able to, to have guests in our building next year, but of course, that's all going to be dependent on, you know, how things turn out with the pandemic. Glennie Brock. The greatest impact has been the theaters standing empty. You know, the restoration of the Lyric was an $11.8 million restoration. We worked very hard to reopen and modernize a venue that had been closed for more than 50 years. And I got to tell you, on paper, as far as the schedule, 2020 was supposed to be the busiest year in the history of the Lyric, full stop. Like, not only since it had reopened, but even going back, you know, there were so many concerts and Sidewalk Film Festival and movie screenings and other things that were scheduled that it was going to be the busiest, the busiest year that we had ever had. I mean, in effect, like, we are down to a skeleton crew and our priorities at this point are like maintenance and upkeep of the building and preparing for when we can have events again. You know, the um, one of the ways that I've always liked to explain part of the ec- economic reality of the Alabama theater, it's got more than 8,000 light bulbs, <laughs> okay? So like our power bill each month, whether there is an audience in there or not, is pretty significant. But this is, you know, this is a place that is precious to the city of Birmingham, to the state of Alabama, the United States just in terms of being like a beautiful movie palace and the same at the Lyric. The Lyric is the last vaudeville house standing in Birmingham and it is a place of great significance. So 
<laughs> these places are not meant to be empty. But for now, we are just facing, you know, the same the same situation as, as so many of our colleagues in cities around the state, around the world, where these great halls, these great like secular civic institutions that have so many memories for people are for the time being empty. And one thing that we keep saying is without your help, we're history. And of course, there's sort of like a, a double meaning there because these are historic places, but we need the people to, who love them to give to them in whatever way they can. Like whatever you would spend, whatever somebody would spend on a movie ticket or concert ticket or popcorn. And as our house organist, Gary Jones, always says popcorn and Chardonnay. Like if you can invest in popcorn and Chardonnay, that kind of thing is will be so meaningful for us because we want to be great stewards of the of these places so that they will be around in the future. You know, something that we hear at both the Lyric and the Alabama all the time, our audience members come up to us and say, oh, I used to ride the streetcar down here, or my grandparents came here on their first date, or I danced here when I was a child. So we don't want the people who have already said that to us to be the last people who get to say that. And I, I don't want to be hist overly histrionic here, but we're, we are in a grave situation. The longer we must go without hosting events. In the Alabama theater's case, more than 150,000 people visit the theater each year for concerts and movies and dance recitals and these other live events. And again, we've sort of spoken on this a little bit so far, but can you just help me and others understand how under normal circumstances, the theater generates revenue and survives? Sure. So both the Alabama and the Lyric are primarily rental venues. So promoters or independent organizations or individuals rent the theater and have events there. To those events, we sell tickets. So there is revenue from ticket sales. At those events, we have popcorn, candy, Coca-Cola at the Alabama, Pepsi products at the Lyric, beer, wine, soft drinks. We have merchandise that we sell. We host field trips for schools. So thousands and thousands of school children from all over the state come to the Alabama every year for the school field trips, like the Ticket price includes admission, a popcorn, and a water. Weddings, too. You know, weddings, private parties, graduations, all these events bring people into the building. And like I said, in some cases, they're paying for tickets. In a lot of cases, they're buying concessions. They are making donations, you know, just outright donations, because being there makes them feel so good. And right now, we we are down to donations alone. I mean, we are totally reliant on the commitment from our from our donors and moviegoers and audiences that love and care about us to step up to help us to be good stewards of these places. You know, we talk a lot about preservation 
but those places are not museums. I mean, this is preservation for a purpose. And, you know, one of the goals has always been preservation for the sake of use. They, they are buildings that are meant, meant to be lived in, I guess. And like I said, we just want to to keep them going. Yeah, and if the theaters get the support they need through donation, what's next in the immediate future? Because with so many restrictions on entertainment venues like yours so directly impacted, how and when do you operate? What are y'all hearing about the future of indoor concerts and movie going and private events and otherwise? There are so many different things coming from so many different sources. Like so many other organizations and venues, we are we are in a wait and see mode. We intend to continue live stream programming as much as we can. As far as you know, the future of indoor concerts and indoor private events, our priority above all is always going to be the safety of our patrons. Like the say, I should say, the safety and comfort. So. We are following, you know, CDC guidelines and guidelines from the Jefferson County Department of Health, the, from Alabama Public Health. And at no point do we want to put any of our audiences or our staff at risk. However, we want to be able to continue as a venue when it is safe to do so again. How does booking work right now? Like, are y'all actively doing that, especially with concerts and other live events where anyone can buy a ticket. I know that so many gigs have already been canceled or postponed, but we have seen artists in venues announce new dates, many in 2021 now, as if there's like a real possibility of that happening. And I just wonder if booking events like that now, is that mainly a logistical necessity? Like you want to book a date just in case things are okay? Or is it a situation where you book it, even if you know the gig might not happen, but it just has a logistical purpose? Cindy Mullins. The Alabama and the Lyric are both rental facilities, meaning that we don't go looking for talent to book. Um, A promoter or a producer of an event contacts us and they rent our building and they bring in the show that they have purchased from a from a talent agency. And so that is kind of making things complicated right now just because we are sort of at the mercy of another party being ready to to host events again on top of all these, you know, rules and procedures that have to be followed. Now with with concerts and events like that being rescheduled one of the things that's happening is that they're being pushed out. We're seeing, you know, several months or like you mentioned all the way into next year, we've had a few that just basically rescheduled their whole whole tour for about one year later, exactly from the date that they were originally booked on. And they're doing that because a whole team of people worked very hard to get a whole tour planned, you know, all these cities, that kind of form a route, you know, they're, they're going typically in places that sort of follow a trail, you know, it makes good logistical sense to do that. And so they're trying to save all that work that has been done by rescheduling rather than just completely canceling. But also I I think a lot of people in the industry kind of think that maybe by rescheduling, it will keep people hopeful 
and keep it on their mind. Whereas if their show is canceled and everybody gets refunded, they may not decide to buy a ticket, you know, in the future if it is rescheduled again. But at this point in the pandemic, we're seeing a little bit of both happening. We're seeing some shows totally cancel and some shows reschedule. From our standpoint, we aren't going to reopen until we feel like it's safe for our guests and for our staff and volunteers. But we also want to make sure that we can follow the rules and some of these rules and procedures we would actually have to be a little bit more strict than what is called for like for example we can't open at 50 percent capacity and still keep people six feet apart or keep you know parties that arrive together six feet apart from other parties so we're still trying to figure out exactly what our capacity could be and that might be 40 percent or 30 percent and um, and that's something we're, we're trying to figure out, and it's taking a lot of trial and error. And obviously the protests over the death of George Floyd that prompted the incidents at Lynn Park that spilled into nearby streets, including Third Avenue, where damages to the Alabama and Lyric theaters included six shattered glass doors and seven windows. What was that like, learning that that had happened in the midst of all else that was happening? It was very distressing, but the damage that the theaters sustained was minimal. And there were far more pressing issues at play there. Like, we can fix broken windows with no problem. The The damage that the theaters sustained, in a number of ways, really, was negligible. Like, there's nothing compared to, like, loss of life or other violence. And if you look back at at the statement that our board and staff issued at the time, you know, one of the things that that we said early on was that we are absolutely in support of people's First Amendment right to protest. And we as an organization and all the individuals there believe that Black Lives Matter. And the real crisis for us is COVID-19, not a few broken windows. And one of the things that I said to to many people at, at the time, you know, there's all this sort of hysterical nonsense about how those nights were heralding the end of downtown. And I think that is nonsense because, you know, downtown Birmingham in the last 10 years has undergone just like an unbelievable transformation, something that none of us could have imagined. And the Lyric in Alabama were, were and are big parts of that. And, you know, after it became clear that the lyric was actually going to be restored, the significant work had not even begun, but it was clear that it was actually going to happen. And within a year, people purchased like three buildings, purchased and began to redevelop three buildings within a block of the lyric. Since the lyric reopened, I think the total is like 19 new businesses, maybe 19 or maybe 22. I forget the exact number, but it's like maybe more as much as uh, as many as two dozen businesses opened just within like a block and a half so like downtown is not going anywhere downtown is going to re-emerge following this covid pandemic and frankly you know birmingham has endured far worse crises than a few broken windows So what would you say 
are some of your most cherished memories at the Alabama and Lyric? Like what makes them so special for you personally? And why do you think they're so vital to the community? I think I have distinct answers for the Lyric and the Alabama. I got to tell you that I grew up in Birmingham and my oldest brother is a professional theater actor in Houston, Texas now. And when my mother and uncle were kids, my grandparents owned two drive-ins and five single screen cinemas, like in Walker County and UN, Winfield, whatever. So I say all this to say that I grew up in theaters and movie theaters. But in 2008, somebody said to me, I was working at a newspaper at the time, and a buddy of mine said to me, you know, what we ought to do is we ought to do a story about that vaudeville house across the street from the Alabama. To which I said, it's not a vaudeville theater across the street from the Alabama, because like parentheses in my arrogance, I thought if there were, I would know about it. And he said, yeah, there is. And I said, no, there's not. And he said, yeah, there is. And long story short, I went to the Alabama theater and former organist Cecil Whitmire took me into the building across the street that at that time looked like a dumpy brown cardboard box. And you know, the lobby was like full of, (laughs) there was a forklift parked in the lobby and the lobby was like full of garbage. But we walked into the Lyric Auditorium and that moment changed my life. It literally changed my life because I couldn't believe what I was seeing, which was the Lyric at that time was this, you know, beautiful ruin. But I couldn't believe that there was a place in Birmingham that looked like that. And that, you know, as far as it seemed to me at the time, like nobody knew about it. Nobody knew about it. And it sounds nuts, but like over the next several, (laughs) over the next several years, twice I quit my job in a terrible economy in order to spend more time in an abandoned theater. That worked out really well for me because it sort of became this crazy imperative just to get as many people as I could into that building. Because to a person, every time somebody saw it, they were just always knocked out by its beauty. And it is People ask me all the time if the lyric is haunted. And my response to that always is that I don't believe in ghosts. But what I will say is that that is a building that works on people. Like people visit the lyric and something happens to them. Like they kind of can't leave it alone. It is it is a place that is resonant and beautiful. And I think it's a place that's incredibly important in Birmingham's history, in our history of racism and segregation, because it was a segregated space. I think it's important in show business history and American history. And, you know, one time the Lyric was um, in the 70s, it closed. Well, it actually closed in 1960, but in the 70s, it reopened as a theater called The Roxy and then The Foxy. And under both of those names, it was a house of adult entertainment. And when we were raising money for the Lyric, my colleague, Tom Cosby, would often joke, you know, when we would give tours to prospective donors or be talking about the Lyric, he would sort of say, Glennie, please don't talk about the pornography today, please. But I did always. And the reason I did is because that happened to theaters in New York and San Francisco and Chicago and Atlanta. And 
it's a fate that the uh, you know that these theaters would become porno theaters and it's a fate that the Alabama narrowly escaped and to me rather than something to be embarrassed of it was just a way that the lyric is a part like a thread of a large tapestry of American theater history both in terms of show business and architecture and I just love it I think it's such a special place the Alabama what I love most about the Alabama theater is the organ, the mighty Wurlitzer theater organ. And the way that the, a lot of people don't realize, even people who love the Alabama and love the sing-alongs before movies, they may not realize that that is not just like a fancy piano or like even just a fancy church organ. It is a magnificent, magical instrument that is actually built into the building. It has never been anywhere else. It was built for that theater. It arrived, uh, oh, I'm sorry, it left the Wurlitzer factory on November 11th, 1927 in pieces and traveled by rail car. And then it was assembled in time for the Alabama to open on Christmas day, 1927. So if you took that organ out of the Alabama, it would just be a box of whistles. That is what Cecil Whitmire always said. And I tell people that the mighty Wurlitzer, that is the engine that runs that block. Like that is the engine, the musical economic engine of the theater district. Because in 1987, the owners of the Alabama were in bankruptcy. The building was in foreclosure. There was every indication it was gonna be torn down for a parking lot. and members of the Alabama chapter, the American Theater Organ Society, went to the bankruptcy judge and said, hey, man, if the Alabama's going to be torn down, we would like to buy the organ out of it. And that bankruptcy judge, in effect, said, if you want to buy that organ, you're going to have to buy the building and its contents. So without the organ, we would not have the Alabama. Without the organ, we would not have the lyric. I think there's a fairly good argument to be made that without the Alabama, we might not have the McWayne Center the Pizzits, you know, every everything that sort of falls into place. The Alabama has been like <laughs> working for the renewal of downtown for a long time. And we have an opportunity to keep that going right now. I'm curious about the things that I'm not asking you. You know, I spoke to Glenny earlier and like she, she mentioned, for instance, the venue has like 8,000 light bulbs and like the power bill is just something that people don't consider. And it seems astronomical on the surface. And I can only imagine what it's like. And just again, like these logistical details that people don't often think about. Is there something that you, someone who actually works there, thinks that the public might not consider about venues in terms of how they're being impacted by the pandemic? Well, I think that the average person doesn't realize how much venues and attractions do for the local economy. You know, when when we tell people that we are suffering and that it may be months or a year or more before we have another event, people think, oh, that's sad. But, you know, there's more important things than a concert right now. But people aren't considering that. When a guest buys a ticket to one of our concerts, a study shows that they will spend $30 in the local community, whether that's on parking, on dinner, on drinks, on merchandise. 
we're not generating tax revenue for our city, county, and state. Um, the restaurants around us aren't picking up on our customers that are hungry after visiting a show. So I, I think that a lot of people are not considering the kind of chain reaction that's really happening in our city and in our state because our venues and other venues like us aren't able to operate right now. And like you mentioned, our overhead costs are very, very high. So even though we aren't operating and we're not having to clean up after big concerts and we're not having to, you know, pay for extra event staff, our just normal expenses are close to $80,000 a month with our power bill, our water bill, our gas, everything that it takes to keep venues like we have operating, we still have to pay those bills even when we're not busy. And we, we've done our best to put a freeze on services that we're not using. And, you know, we're doing everything that we can to be very careful with our costs. But, you know, summertime in Alabama is hot and it's making it very difficult for us to control the temperature in the theaters so that the plaster and the carpeting and the upholstery on the seats don't get damaged if the humidity gets too high. You know, we still have to maintain these historic buildings even if there's no guests inside because one day they'll come back and we have to be ready for them. Well, Cindy, thank you so much. Thank you. Glenny, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to all of that. If you or anyone you know is affected by coronavirus and want to share your story, please email bflanagan at al.com. That's B-F-L-A-N-A-G-A-N at al.com. For all of our coverage on the outbreak and how it continues to impact Alabama, visit al.com slash coronavirus. If you like the show, please rate us and write a review. Thanks for listening.